Rachel Berenbaum, author of A Bend in the Stars. And today my guest is Taping Chen, whose brand new short story collection just dropped. It's called Land of Big Numbers. It is brilliant. I absolutely loved it. And I'm so excited that she's here joining us today. Taping, tell me, what is your book about? Land of Big Numbers is a book about men and women in love. It's about robots who chop noodles and about funeral strippers and striving and hope and longing and ambition. And most of the stories are set in China and some in the US as well. Can you tell us what is your connection to China? Yes, so I was born and raised in the US, but I have lived in China um, for many years, both as a student and most recently as a reporter for the Wall Street Journal where I was based in Beijing. So uh, one of the big themes that I saw in across all of these stories was this push for a better future, um, but often at the expense of sort of dulling the past, right? Not quite forgetting, but not quite bringing it to the front, right, with all the emotions. Can you talk about that theme? Yeah, so it was something that I wanted to evoke in different ways. Um, most probably obviously in the story New Fruit, in which um, a, super, a fruit with almost supernatural powers comes to a neighborhood in Beijing and transforms people's lives by making them start to remember all the things that they've wanted to forget. And that ranges from the personal, um, their own sort of personal tragedies that they'd shelved to more national sorts of um, amnesia about things like the Cultural Revolution. The story was inspired by the neighborhood where I lived in Beijing, and it was a neighborhood that I loved, um, this traditional old hutong, where all the street vendors would come and sell these amazingly, meltingly delicious nectarines, um, which were so delicious that they inspired in many ways the stories. It was not much of a leap to impart them with more magical properties. Um, and it in many ways was a tribute to this neighborhood where I live, but also the, the story is a broader metaphor, of course, for China, a nation, and some of its recent history. There's so many events have been subject to so much mass forgetting. Yeah, so um, I would love to, uh, you know, talk about this sort of the political angle to these stories, because, um, you know, in forgetting the past, right, you show characters that are able to be apolitical or some that are very political, but politics is constantly hovering in the background. So do you think of this as a political collection? That's a good question. It's a hard one. Of course, the book does have political elements. The first story opens with a pair of twins, right? One who's um, the brother who wants to become a professional video gamer and his sister who ends up becoming an online political dissident. So politics is absolutely woven with it through the collection, but in many ways for me, what I found more fascinating in my time in China and what comes through in this collection too is just the many ways that people are making a living in the cracks of the system and finding their own ways to be creative and build their own features and identities in ways that again, are, are, you know, of course, of the, the system, but also finding ways around it. So I'm so glad you brought up that very first story, Lulu, um, was originally published in The New Yorker. And for me, it was one of the um, most resonant, I don't know, it just, it stuck with me the longest, in particular because you have these twins, boy, girl, um, and one has, they both have these online presences, right? And one is a gamer, and so his online presence is through gaming, and the other is political. She's trying to fight the system and change the system, but what a juxtaposition, right, in the two. Um, could you talk about that and how you, how you came up with that idea and how, what you wanted it to say? Yeah. Well, I think in so many ways, the internet 
is, I mean, you can, you can interact with it in so many ways. And in China, it of course is a vehicle for um, a limited degree of political expression, one that is subject very much to censorship as the sister finds in the story. Um, but of course it also is a huge source of community and identity and entertainment. And that's another theme that comes through the book is just the juxtaposition of these two worlds, right? In which you can live in a society like China, where as a consumer, you have so many options and it's possible to very much spend your life chasing certain ambitions and to be preoccupied with certain material goods and to never really have to interact with some of the darker sides of life there. And what we see in those two twins is one, of course, using the internet very much to channel his own personal ambitions and the other one hoping to use it as a political vehicle. And there was just something about that duality that has always fascinated me about the internet, its ability to make to, in some ways, for how it enables us to lose ourselves. And in other ways, the promise of it too, though it doesn't always go fulfilled. I just loved it. Uh, so another one of the big themes in all of these stories was, I thought, the question, the meta question, of what do we question, right? And in one of these stories, um, I don't want to give too much away, but in one of these stories, there is a subway experience in which the riders are stuck in the tunnels down, you know, in the subway for a long time because, uh, you know, they can only exit through other tunnels and those other exits are closed. Um, but there's an absurdity to that, right? An almost Kafkaesque like, do you just go back through the other tunnel? Like, what do you question? Um, can you talk about that? Yeah. So the characters of the book of course, are grappling with all kinds of questions. I mean, some of the ones about what do you question, they could be relationships, people that you love. I'm thinking of one story where we meet a character who's traveling through the Grand Canyon with her longtime lover and finds a lipstick in his car and is trying to talk herself out of what it's not her lipstick and she's trying to talk herself out of what she knows it means. And so there, there are personal ways that this is evoked in the book, but also, as you mentioned with the story, Gubeko Spirit, in which we see these subway commuters get trapped underground actually for months for this absurd bureaucratic reason and the government denying them permission to leave. And in some ways that story is a question about what it means to be comfortable and to, to, to really survive and not just survive, but thrive even in incredibly difficult circumstances, right? And how, how that can be something that we, we see in that story. It's in some ways wonderful that these commuters, these, these poor hapless commuters can really create the sense of community and belonging and in the end grow very comfortable and not wanna leave. But at the same time, there is something so disturbing about the fact that they have been able to reassemble their sense of the world and normalcy and accept what, you know, what they're enduring as normal, um, something which a number of readers have pointed out does also have resonances for our current moment when we're all sheltering in place amid this pandemic. But I love that you can question a lipstick as much as right a, a bureaucratic rule, right? What do you choose to question in your life? That's a, a big Absolutely. question, right? Yeah, and what should you what should you accept at face value, both in your own life and more broadly? Yeah, I just love that. Theme. When I put this collection down, this brilliant collection, I was really filled with a sense of melancholy. Um, and it, it really took hold. And I've been trying to pinpoint where that came from. Can you talk about that? Am I experiencing that alone? I think that is, it's an experience that I had often, I think, living in China and, and having conversations with people who were in situations, some of which are evoked in the book, there is a tremendous sense of powerlessness that one can encounter living in China. And it can definitely create those emotions. At the same time, so much of what I wanted to evoke in this collection is just that sense of surprise and beauty and 
wonder and playfulness that also is so much a part of life in modern China, which for me very much took the form of magical realism, right? And trying to use that as a tool to inject some of that sense of, of what it really is to, to experience life in China today in which so much can feel just outrageous and surreal and over the top, whether we're talking about funeral strippers or robots whose sole job is to chop noodles, both real phenomenons that um, exist in China. And, and I was really delighted to get to evoke in the book and share with readers. And so yeah, I think, I think that absolutely is there, but it was also so important to me to end the collection um, with Gubeko Spirit, that story in which ultimately we do see one character who does see things differently and questions what she's been given and is in manages to break out. Um, because I do see this book in so many ways as a celebration of a place that I think is so often seen as a monolith where we don't, we think about the government and we don't think about the people. Um, and I think you really do need to, to have that deeper view of the people to understand the country and so much of what I wanted to celebrate is just, you know, the tremendous spirit and ingenuity and creativity and pragmatism married to like this extraordinary ambition that you do encounter so often. Um, and, I, and I hope that's also what readers get to encounter in these characters. They certainly do. And you're certainly starting the conversation, you know, and getting us thinking about it and talking about it. So I just love it. Um, and what do you want to leave readers with when they finish the book? I think it really is that sense of just, you know, the title Land of Big Numbers is really intended to sort of poke fun at how from a distance people often think of China as this gargantuan monolith place of abstractions and GDP and statistics. And what I, I think it's just so easy to, to lose sight of the human amid all the headlines. And um, I really hope readers walk away with just the sense of really what it's like to live in modern China and some of the questions that people grapple with in this extraordinarily um, human and relatable way, right? That um, to get a sense of just like almost at a sensory level, like what an extraordinary place it is to live and all these surprises also that um, exist in society there that are hard to get a glimpse uh, from a distance. So I don't often have uh, authors of short story collections on this show. Can you talk about how you get a collection like that published? Wow. So I felt really, I mean, I, yeah, I just hugely lucky. It was, um, I had written the stories and then I found an agent who was kind enough to want to represent it. And then um, the New Yorker accepted that first story that you mentioned, Lulu. And once that had happened, um, then publishers were interested in the collection. So um, yeah, it was, it was a really lucky break at that way. Lucky break or well-deserved because it's a brilliant story. <laughs> but the point is that um, you can publish a short story collection and separately publish the stories themselves, right? Yes, yeah. And actually the, the way that that happened was um, the stories had all been written, but before my pub before my agent wanted to try, to try and get publisher interest in the collection, she was saying, look, we have to try and place some of these somewhere because you've never been published. I hadn't, I hadn't been submitting to places. And so um, she was just, like in order to be taken seriously, like let's try and get you in some literary place. And so, yeah, I think I think you, you certainly can and it's helpful um, if you have been published. I love that, in some literary place, you know, we'll just throw it in the New Yorker, <laughs> just toss it in there. <laughs> what kind of advice do you have for aspiring short story writers out there? I guess I, I wish, I wish someone had told me that it was possible. I waited a really long time before I, tried to get things published. And so for a long time, I was just 
writing kind of in the dark in my own head and and it was often really lonely and so if i if i'd known just that it was actually a possible thing and it, and it wasn't as intimidating as it might have seemed from a distance even you know without an mfa and without really knowing how the system worked i was i just felt really really embraced and i've been so so grateful for the reception that the collection has had Amazing. Taping, thank you so, so much for joining me today. I absolutely love the collection. If you guys haven't read Land of Big Numbers yet, go out and get a copy. May you sell many, many copies.